GCSE English Literature Revision. I'm going to be talking today about a strategy for essays on Unit 1, um, which is the question where you have to do an essay which is mainly focused on historical, social, cultural context. So um, you might be doing um, To Kill a Mockingbird or Of Mice and Men for this paper. Now, often you get a choice of two questions and one of them will be a character-based question. So I've spoken a little bit about how if you get a theme question, you would need to maybe choose three characters to um, illustrate that theme and explore that theme fully. But what about if you get a character question uh, and you're f asked to focus on one particular character? How should you go about structuring an essay for that? Well, given that the mark scheme is focusing primarily on context, 77% of the weighting is context, um, you're going to want to look at all the different facets of context and how they could be applied to that character. So you've got historical, social, cultural context, literary context, if that's applicable, and then thinking about how readers responded to them when the book was first published, and then maybe how readers respond to them today. In all these things, we have to think about the core theme or conflict of the novel. So for To Kill a Mockingbird, the core theme would be empathy, and the key conflict is The Trial of Tom Robinson. In Of Mice and Men, the core theme is loneliness, and the key conflict is Lenny's behaviour. So I'm going to work through two examples, one for To Kill a Mockingbird, one for Of Mice and Men, uh, of how I might approach a single character question. So imagining that a question on To Kill a Mockingbird is on Mrs. DuBose. Now, Mrs. DuBose is a very minor character, um, but she does illustrate some important things that we can apply to the novel as a whole and to Harper Lee's message. So she really represents typical make-home attitudes. Um, so in terms of historical, social context, she represents um, the people of the South um, in their very strong racist attitudes and her racism is aggressive you know she's calling after Jem and Scout as they walk down the street um, she is reinforcing the views that Maycomb think are correct so she attacks Scout saying you should be in a dress um, attacking um, Scout's lack of femininity um, and then she really gets to Jem because she says what does this will come to when a finch goes against his raising uh, your father's no better than the niggers and trash he works for. And obviously in using that language towards um, uh, Atticus's defence of Tom Robinson, um, she basically says that Atticus has gone against his family, his reputation and his social standing in the community. And Jem is old enough, um, unlike Scout, to really understand that what she's saying and that's why he goes crazy and knocks down all of her camellias. Um, now, what's really interesting is Atticus's response to this is to send Jem straight back over there to apologise. And then not only apologise, but then Jem has to read Ivanhoe to uh, Mrs. DuBose um, every day for a month. Um, and Scout genuinely believes Jem is going to be killed when he goes over to see Mrs. DuBose to say sorry. Um, the narrator 
comments that his only son stood an excellent chance of being murdered with a Confederate army relic because they believe that Mr. DeBose is harbouring some kind of um, gun in the house. Um, now, it's obviously a, in said in good humour, the adult scout looking back on how ridiculous that idea was. But if Mrs. DeBose represents the old South, the Confederacy, um, this is a term from the American Revolution, then she does represent the potential violent danger that Atticus representation of Tom Robinson will pose to the children. So in this sense, this incident is going to foreshadow eventually Bob Ewell's violent attack on them right at the very end. Atticus also uses Mrs. DeBose's um, accusations as a teaching point for both Scout and Jem, particularly for Jem. Um, but in a conversation with Scout explaining why he sent Jem to apologise um, and then why he is defending Tom Robinson, even though everyone in Maycomb is saying that he shouldn't, he says, Scout, I couldn't go to church and worship God if I didn't try to help that man. And so we have this contrast of Atticus being set up as different from all the people of Maycomb. So in this incident, Mrs. DuBose represents all of Maycomb and Atticus is clearly pitted against her in very different attitudes. Um, now, what's really funny is that Jem, uh, when he comes back and finds out he's got a he's got to read to her, um, doesn't want to go back because he says it's all dark and creepy. Um, and what's actually going on here is that you know she's fighting this morphine addiction she's facing her own demons and she's fighting a battle behind closed doors and Atticus's grim remark well just pretend you're inside the Radley house links to this idea that behind the social appearance there can be hidden battles and hidden trials a bit like Boo Radley himself goes through behind closed doors Essentially, Atticus is teaching Jem that you must pay restitution for your wrongs, and that's what makes them different to other people in Maycomb. Atticus, even uh, once she dies right at the end of part one, draws on a lesson of her life by saying that she is an example of real courage. She was the bravest person I ever knew. Um, Atticus links Mrs. DuBose's attitude to overcoming her morphine addiction to his decision to take the trial. Um, he says that courage is when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway and you see it through no matter what. And so this becomes a really important lesson in Jem and Scout's moral education. So in terms of conflict structurally, the incident with Mrs. DeBose closes part one that these minor conflicts of the children in part one with Francis, other um, characters in the playground, and finally this conflict with Mr. DuBose, all of these smaller conflicts are making way for the bigger conflict of Atticus and the trial in part two. And Mrs. DuBose prepares us for Makeup's reaction for the inevitable outcome of the trial and the violent aggression that Atticus and the children will suffer. In terms of the core theme of empathy, um, this really challenges us as modern readers. Mrs. DuBose commits an unforgivable sin in, in modern morality. To be so overtly, aggressively racist is extremely taboo and obviously for good reasons condemned. But Atticus challenges us. Can we empathise even with someone who's racist? Can we see something to admire in her? And I do think that deeply challenges a modern reader.
Now, if I look at Of Mice and Men, um, if you had a question on Curly's wife as a character, um, we would want to take a similar approach of looking for the historical, social, cultural context and how Curly's wife fits into that. So firstly, Curly's wife is going to tell us a lot about the position of women. She doesn't have a name. She is Curly's wife, the wife of Curly, his property, his possession. Um, and as, as much as she's pretty and she likes to dress up, she's essentially an accessory for Curly's life. She's reduced to wandering around the farm, desperate for someone to talk to um, because she has no occupation. Because she's married someone who's fairly well off like Curly, she doesn't have to work for a living. But this actually means that she has nothing to do. So she goes around essentially looking for trouble um, and people say she's got the eye. The problem is she's bored and she's desperate for attention. In terms of the core theme of loneliness in the novel, Curly's wife is clearly very lonely. Um, She says things like, think I don't like to talk to somebody every once in a while. Um, The problem is, is that Curly is so possessive of her that he doesn't like her talking to anyone else. But Curly himself doesn't seem that interested in her. Um, And so... The problem with Cur- for Curly's wife is she's now in a situation when she's on, on this ranch with no real friends, no real occupation, um, and she's just left to her own devices. She ends up just turning into um, an Eve figure posing a temptation um, for George and Lenny. Now, Curly's wife's dream was to be in the movies, in the pictures, and she describes how, you know, she once met a guy and, you know, he got her hopes up, but then um, she believes that her mother um, maybe hid the letter that was supposed to come from him, but clearly that letter never existed. She's got that kind of youthful naivety and that, you know, she really believed that maybe one day she would be famous. And there's that historical pathos of the glamour of Hollywood in the 1930s and a growing film industry, contrasting with the poverty of the Great Depression and the impact um, in the South, particularly in the Dust Bowl area where there were these massive dust clouds that created just impossible conditions for farming um, and, and made all this these very difficult situations this juxtaposition of the wealth and glamour of Hollywood versus the reality the dusty farm life that Curly's wife's actually living in so she has her own dream which didn't get fulfilled and I think we have some sympathy for her I think original readers and us as modern readers we have a lot of sympathy for Curly's wife in her kind of frustrated ambitions However, we can also see why George refers to her as jailbait and in the colours that Steinbeck uses with the the use of red with her um, shoes and the ostrich feathers and painted nails and things like that. She is clearly a a femme fatale. She's a, a figure of danger. She even threatens crooks, saying, I could get you strung up on a tree so easy, it ain't even funny, referring to the fact that as a black man, if she accused him of anything, as a white woman, he would just get lynched by everyone with no questions asked. So she becomes a symbol of danger, which obviously plays into the key conflict of the novel, which is Lenny's unpredictable behaviour and strength. Um, Lenny has shown from the very beginning of the novel that he likes to pet things and things often go wrong. He's killed puppies, he's killed um, mice, um, and ultimately he kills Curly's wife. The pathos there is obviously Lenny doesn't 
intentionally set out to murder anyone. He just doesn't know his own strength and he can't control it. Um, But the unpredictability of Lenny's behaviour drives George crazy. George wants stability. He wants to achieve the dream and um, save up enough money and make it happen. And every time Lenny does something wrong, they have to run away and jump ship. And that's just what's happened to them at the start of the novel. Um, They've had to leave somewhere else because of an incident that occurred with a girl, which foreshadows and sets up what's going to happen with Curly's wife. Um, Lenny's obviously completely in awe of this beautiful woman, um, but of course, as he quite innocently tries to stroke her hair, um, things go really wrong and he ends up breaking her neck. Now, the key thing there is that um, Curly's wife becomes the scapegoat and the object of blame. Um, When he sees that she's dead, um, Candy sort of accuses her of of being the one at fault. And I think that really shows how um, the position of women was so restricted at that point um, that she she is um, just reduced to being this pretty thing that goes around but all, that every all the men are terrified that she's going to bring destruction upon them so for curly's wife there's a lot to say about how she illustrates the position of women at the time the dreams that, that all the characters have um her dream is different but it's still a dream um she evokes a lot of sympathy um, and as modern readers particularly we would sympathize with her situation um but ultimately she increases the conflict of the novel um, because of the danger that she poses to Lenny and George.